Well, good morning, everyone. And Cade Mila Falcha, August Banakti Nakaska Orov. You are very, very welcome to Lighthouse Church. I want to wish you a very happy Easter. We're coming to you live this morning from the Hill of Tara. Myself and the crew are up here early. We decided a special occasion required something special for Easter. I'm standing right beside what archaeologists call the Mound of Hostages. There's still some debate as, as to what the purpose of this mound was. Was it a prison-like place or was it a tomb? Uh, either way, for, for the purpose of what we're going to talk about today, we're going to imagine it was a tomb. And here we're overlooking many counties uh, in the great province of Leinster. We're kind of between Navin and Dublin. And it's also significant today because this is, this is also the spot, the very spot where St. Patrick many, many years ago met the Ardry, the High King of Ireland, and was given license to preach the good news of Jesus uh, across the island. Uh, and today I want to say a massive uh, welcome, a massive hello to all of our family in Navin. Come on, let's hear from our Navin crew. Are you out there? Let me hear you. Come on, you can do better than that. Excellent. Come on, for all of our Dublin family, come on, let me hear you guys too. Are you there? Come on, let's hear a cheer from Dublin. And we won't really hear it right now, but of course, also a massive welcome. Let's give a massive bullet bus to all of our online family who are watching this service also. Let me give you just a quick heads up before I jump into this week's, this today, I should say, today's content uh, about what's happening next week. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Nothing Really Matters. And what this series is designed to do, what we're going to be wrestling with over the next few weeks is, is what do we do when our world literally is going mad? Like the world has gone crazy. Like we're just coming out of a, out of a pandemic and all of a sudden there's a war and there's, you know, economic uh, also downturn, there's inflation. There's all these things happening and it can, it can just leave us feeling like apathetic towards life and not really knowing what to do and not really having a place to be centered, a place just to stay. Uh, and so starting next Sunday, brand new series, Nothing Really Matters, How to Stay Centred in a Crazy World. So I invite you to join us as we kick off this great series, just getting wisdom from God for how to live our lives, how to stay sane and how to live peacefully and how to live strongly in these crazy days. Now, today's message I've called Darkness to Light. One of the reasons why we're here on the Hill of Tara so early in the morning is because we want to capture a little bit of what it, what it may have been like on the morning that Jesus rose, the first Easter, so many years ago. And even as I'm talking, I'm going to start talking now in darkness, but hopefully by the time the message is finished, we'll be standing in light. A great metaphor, not just for what happened on the physical morning of Jesus' resurrection in terms of the sunrise, but what, what can happen in all of our hearts when the hope of the gospel becomes real to us. Now, for those of you who are Christ followers, for those of you who have faith, for those of you who are Christians, you know, the Easter, the Easter weekend, the Easter event is the most important event in the Christian calendar, full stop. I mean, Christmas is huge and it's worth celebrating and we do a good job that every year. But Easter is even more important because if Jesus was just a man who was born and came into the world and died and stayed dead, well, that's good if you're going to start a world religion or, or, or start some kind of great movement. But if you're going to change the world, then staying dead doesn't lend itself to transformation. But if Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, that changes everything for those of us who are uh, Christ followers and for those who are not Christ followers and you're sitting there maybe you're invited today again you're so very welcome today and I hope something of what I say today will also help and be hopeful and inspire you but if you're sitting there thinking man what is it with Easter like think about the fact right now there are literally hundreds of millions of people around the world in all sorts of 
denominations and different streams, different styles of worship, celebrating Resurrection Sunday. I mean, the global strength of Easter may not deserve your celebration as someone who's a skeptic, as someone who's not a Jesus follower, but it, but it demands your consideration. Because when you think about this, this, this day, this event, and the fact that even in the 21st century world in which we live, still hundreds of millions of people worldwide are going to be gathered in churches like this to celebrate and punctuate the moment where Jesus, for us, rose from the dead. In fact, I was at a, a convention recently, I was at a, a think tank kind of meeting, and we were talking about the, the growth of the church worldwide. I don't know if you know this, because sometimes, especially in Ireland, it can feel like, man, there's not many Christ followers here. But the truth is, Christianity is the fastest growing faith in the world. It, it, it is the fastest growing faith in the world, hands down. Nothing even comes close to it. Which, if you're a Christ follower, come on, that's worth celebrating today. Come on, it's worth celebrating that the good news and the gospel message is still making a difference worldwide. But if you're a skeptic, someone who's kind of calm and you're curious, you're not sure, and you're asking questions and kicking tires, then the question you should be asking is, well, why? Like, I thought we outgrew our neighbors. I thought this was a thing of the past. Why is it still in the world, even in Ireland, in churches like ours, that the message of Jesus and the gospel is still growing? Which really kind of tees up the overall message for today's, the overall question, I should say, for today's message, which is, why do we still believe? Like, you know, a lot of us would say, I understand when my grandparents believed, maybe I understand when my parents believed, but I can't understand why people still believe today. Maybe you're here and you're, you know, in your 20s, maybe you're a teenager, and you're especially wondering, man, why do people still believe? So whether you're a Christ follower and have been for a while, or a total skeptic, I want to bring a message today that will inspire and encourage us and remind us of what we're really celebrating here on Easter Sunday and the strength of what it means to our lives practically. Now again, if you're a skeptic, this is where you're pushing back and you're going, no, 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 no. You know, Christianity and faith and Jesus, I mean, there's only three reasons why anyone would still believe today. Number one, this is something you've inherited from your family, from your from your ancestors, from your patriarch or matriarch or whatever you want to call it. Or number two, you might push back and say, no, this is something you're indoctrinated into. Like you, you were taught this, someone, someone put you in a class, you did a course and you're indoctrinated. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, you guys are just insane. Like you're either you're either inherited this, you're indoctrinated into this, or you're just insane. And the reason the, the reason why we think this sometimes, the reason why we push back on the Christian message, the Easter message, the resurrected Jesus, because we've come to believe that that the origin story of Jesus and the origin story of his resurrection really is a myth. Like it's urban legend. Like there's no there's no veracity, there's no historicity in the story, in the origins of the gospel story. But we have to understand that from a, a scholarly point of view, from a historical point of view, from an academic point of view, you know, the life, the death, and the burial of Jesus are all essentially indisputable. Like, there's very few of any scholars out there who will begin, even try to argue the fact that Jesus lived, that he had a ministry, had disciples, they died on the cross, and that he was buried in a tomb. The problem is not with his life, death, or burial. The problem is with what happens next. The problem is what is what happens on Easter Sunday. Because if Jesus had have just lived and died, it would have been better for everyone in a sense. But because we believe he rose and he is resurrected, everything changes. Because for us as Christ followers, the resurrection is the most important event in our Christian calendar. Everything that we believe in, everything that we hold to hinges on the fact 
that Jesus didn't just live and die and be buried, but that Jesus rose again. As we say every single Easter, if Jesus did in fact, if his claim, if our claim that he rose from the dead is true, then it's game on for Christianity and the gospel message. But if in fact he did not rise from the dead and it is nothing more than a fabricated myth and an urban legend, then it's game over for the Christian message because there's no power in this message. There's no hope in this message and therefore there's no point in this message if Jesus Christ stayed dead. But the truth is, as those who are Christ followers know, he didn't because we have experienced him for ourselves. Now when we look at it from a kind of a, a historical point of view, we look at Jesus as a person, his life, his ministry. One of the things that's very interesting to me and really captures my imagination every year around Easter is when I study Jesus' life and his methodology and his ministry. I think, man, this was a really bad way. If the whole purpose of what Jesus was doing was to start a world religion, the way he did it was really silly. Like it wasn't, like he didn't read the manual. Like he should have Googled wiki how, how to start a world religion because, because you don't start a world religion by basically Basing the whole thing on yourself, not writing anything down, not pointing to anything else, and then just dying. Because that's that's inconvenient, right? Like if you build everything on you and you fall or you die, then everything you built dies and falls with you. You see, Jesus Jesus is unlike any other leader in history, any other religious leader, because every other religious person, whether it was Buddhism or Islam or any other one, we see a, a person, a prophet, a teacher, uh, some messiah, messianic-like figure who, yes, would burst on the scene and carry this incredible message and, and point people in an amazing way to amazing things. But then they would die, and so it was important, if you're going to get a religion off the ground, to, to build it away from you. But, but Jesus' claims about himself undermined his message and his movement. Because, essentially, he said, I'm it. You want to know the way to the Father? It's me. You, you, want to, you want to know how we're going to build this church? It's on me. Like everything about Christianity was in him, through him and for him, which was fine when he was alive. Like if we were there in the first century and we were one of his followers, it's fine. When you're walking behind Jesus he's, and he's doing all these miracles and speaking to all these leaders, you're thinking, wow, what an amazing movement we're part of. But when you watch that same leader be humiliated as he's arrested, falsely tried, falsely imprisoned, when a crown of thorns is beaten onto his head, when he's flogged and when he's crucified and killed and buried. I mean, that's inconvenient. This is very important for us to remember today, especially those of us who are skeptics. The idea that on Good Friday, like when Jesus was crucified, when, when, when he hung on that cross breathing his last breaths, everybody unfollowed him. It wasn't like all of Jesus' followers were there in the cross saying, don't worry, it'll be fine. We know what's going to happen next. He told us he'd rise again. Like even his closest followers abandoned him because they thought that when Jesus died, the message and the movement died with him. But, and the truth is, it would have if it wasn't for what happened next. You see, Christianity isn't built on principles or theories or even religious systems. Unfortunately, Christianity and the Christian message has been hijacked over time and sometimes reduced into those things. But Christianity, the Christian message, is built on, a, on an event. And that event is the event of the resurrection. And if we can open our minds and open our hearts today to the possibility, not of a, of a Christ that lived and a Christ that taught and a Christ that did kind and nice things and died and was buried, but a Christ that rose again. Like we know this message has changed the world. 
reason why we're in this room today is because this message has changed the world but it can go from changing their world to changing our world if we'll allow it today and I want to encourage you that if you're if you're here today or you're watching online and you're thinking man I'm not sure if you just give God a chance this message can change your world and so we find ourselves outside the tomb like this and we realize that on the morning of Jesus resurrection there wasn't a crowd gathered as I often say there wasn't like it wasn't like this you know people are camping out like like a, a, a sale at next the, you know, the week of Christmas people were standing there going 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 and I give you Jesus cue the lights come on confetti like there was no one there why because no one expected Jesus to rise from the dead the tomb was was alone it was dark it was it was abandoned there was no light and there was no hope not only for Jesus disciples but also for the world so what I want to do today and again all today's notes are in the Bible app Bible app a you version so if you have the Bible app click on uh, more clicking events find the house church in Avenue Dublin and our notes are there we're going to turn now to God's Word the, the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. And we're going to look at a very interesting, peculiar... Maybe you haven't heard this, this particular uh, passage used in the context of Easter. So if you've been around church for a while, this is going to be interesting for you. But if you're a skeptic and you're here and you've, you're just trying to you know, get answers to questions, this might be helpful for you also. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 62 to 66. And here's what it says. It says, the next day... So this is the day after Jesus has been crucified. Jesus successfully being crucified in the eyes of those who wanted him dead. And the kind of day in between his death and his resurrection, we're told that uh, these religious leaders weren't satisfied just with his death. They wanted to go even further. So the next day, the one after preparation day, because of course it was a Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So again, if you're familiar with the Jesus story, the priests and the Pharisees who were like, very religious leaders in the Jewish religion at the time, they went to Pilate, that is Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of Jerusalem, who was essentially the one that gave the order to crucify Jesus, okay? And basically they go to Pilate because they're like, hey, we're not done yet. We're, we're not sure we're happy because there's a chance in which if, we're not, if we don't really keep this guy dead and buried, I mean, if we, don't, if we don't do our due diligence in making sure his disciples don't come and rob his body and spread some weird theory, then we'll be in trouble. So to say in verse 63, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, that's how they view Jesus, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Now, let me just kick off by saying there's an irony here. It's the irony of religion, which is part of the reason why perhaps some of you today watching or in the room, why some of us don't have any faith because we grew up in religious systems where people said one thing but did a different thing. Maybe it was parents or a priest or whatever, the general church body, general Christianity. And that hypocrisy frustrated us to the point that we could no longer follow. Here we see another example of it, but this time in the Jewish religion, because we're told it was Sabbath day, and these Pharisees and these chief priests, they're supposed to be observing the Sabbath, following their rules. In fact, many times they accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath day and breaking the Sabbath rest, which was a 24-hour period of religious rest. 
yet yet we see in this uh, a great a great conundrum that and a great kind of frustration for many which is for for in, from their perspective you know there was a double standard religion like they could but we can't isn't that strange is doesn't that really frustrate when people have double standards where we can because we're different or we're better or we're more but you can't and so we see straight away that that these so-called leaders aren't leading anything they're actually very hypocritical in their accusation but nonetheless that's just a side note for free they come to Pilate and say hey he said one of his claims was he would rise after three days and so we want to do something about this now understand their scrutiny uh, towards the message towards the movement was very similar to some of our scrutiny in that the scrutiny was agnostic in nature like they wanted un- unambiguous proof of deception it wasn't enough that they'd arrested and killed Jesus they wanted to make sure that he was dead and that he would stay dead and that his disciples have, would have no chance to be able to rob his body and create to kickstart some kind of weird religious movement they wanted to unequivocally eliminate the claim that Jesus made when he said I will rise now understand it's 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 agnostic in nature because they didn't expect him to rise they weren't like hey listen in case he rises tie him down or you know lock the door like don't let him out you know what i'm saying as if if you could lock in a resurrected christ like that wasn't that wasn't their perspective they weren't expecting a resurrection they were expecting deception they wanted to make sure that his body couldn't be stolen so no one could make up a fabricated myth or lie again we can all relate this because I don't know where you are in the faith spectrum. Maybe you're raised in faith, maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you're here, again, you're curious about faith. I, for one, was not someone who was raised in faith. I was raised with religion, like most people in Ireland. And, I, and when, when I first encountered the gospel message, as you, many of you are now, it, I really struggled with it because it really clashed with my worldview and my approach to it wasn't one of open arms like, yes, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I, 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 was, I, was, I was very, uh, very much critical. I was skeptical. I was scrutinizing everything because I wanted, I wanted to be the guy that disproved Christianity. But the more I, I got into it, the more I pressed and the more I opened my heart to, to what was happening, the more I began to see the truth of what had happened. story continues in verse 64. We're told, this is where um, the Pharisees and chief priests say to Pilate, so in essence what we're asking, Sir, Lord, Pilate, uh, is give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, watch this, they're not waiting for resurrection. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead this deception they say will be worse than the first so again we see it there from the from the from from their own mouth that their fear is that the disciples by stealing jesus body from the tomb and perpetuating a false message would create this 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 uprising in jerusalem that would cause all this trouble a a great deception that in their terms would be worse than jesus whole and entire life and ministry so what, what are they asking Pilate for essentially their solution was comprehensive security their solution was they wanted some kind of guarantee some kind of security that would prove unambiguously that Jesus died 
and stayed dead. And what they asked for, as we're going to see in a second, is they asked for a couple of things. They asked for a seal and they asked for a Roman guard. When we see that Roman guard, it wasn't like one Roman soldier. A guard was a, was a troop. It was a number of soldiers that would stand outside the tomb, armed men, okay, guarding it for 24 hours until the third day was over. And of course, a Roman seal, which I'll get to in a minute, which also was very significant. The point, though, is this to remember, that they never even considered a resurrection. They weren't worried about resurrection. They were worried about insurrection. They weren't worried about Jesus coming back to life. They were worried about his disciples falsifying a claim, robbing a body, and creating deception. They weren't worried about you know a risen savior. They were worried about a stolen body. Again, for, for, in their point of view, they, they were very much of the opinion that if Jesus' body could successfully be stolen, then there'd be this incredible origin story, which again is a myth, which is what some of us today watching online are doing, what we believe. But again, this is very important from a historical point of view, because if you're like me, this information is helpful. For example, when you actually study mythology and how myths come to be and how they're formed and kind of the science around them, one of the key things, key, key things from a historical point of view in the formation of a myth is the timeline of those who are there at the original event. Okay, so if I want to perpetuate a myth and say that, I don't know, let me just pluck, pluck one out of the sky, that Ireland had the best soccer team in the world, like we were world champions for 10 years straight, okay? For me to be able to perpetuate that myth, we're told from the science of mythology, that, the, that, that, that that myth could only really begin to take root 50 to 100 years after the last eyewitness died. Right? To which you're going, well, why? Well, the answer is quite obvious because if I perpetuate a myth that Ireland has the greatest soccer team in the world and someone is alive who knows that's not true, then all I have to say is, you're a liar. I was there. That's a lie. That never happened. Okay? So there needs to be a gap of at least, we're told, from a scientific point of view of 50 to 100 years. Now, here's the mind-blowing thing. <laughs> a resurrected Jesus and his, and his story wasn't, didn't come on the scene 50 to 100 years later. It happened after three days. This is, this is so important. Why? Because the Christian message isn't perpetuated on theory or indoctrination or, or you know, in terms of inheriting something or insanity. It's founded on the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, that he lives and that he reveals himself in the hearts of men and women and those who choose to open their hearts towards him experience not some historical figure or the memory of some great saviour, but they experience the power, the love, and the redemption of a resurrected Savior. This is so, so crucial for us today as we celebrate Easter. Now, like I said, my journey to Christianity was all about uncovering deception. I was convinced this was all made up an awesome lie. And maybe like you today watching or in the room, and definitely like these religious leaders, I was determined to disprove the claim that Jesus is Lord. Now, let's get back to the story. In verse 65, we're told, they asked for... Uh, sorry, Pilate responds then to their request and says, Take a guard, again, plural group, uh, go make the tomb secure as you know how. And basically, you know, just to put it in perspective, like these guys are professional soldiers. Like, their whole, like, if you're a baker, you make cake, right? If you're a driving instructor, you teach people how to drive. If you're an architect, you build buildings. 
if you're a Roman soldier, you guard stuff, man. Like you're good at guarding things. You're a professional at keeping things secure. This is your this is the, the thing that you have a degree in. You're good at making sure people don't trespass lines. That's how the Roman army conquered the world and maintained order in that world for a thousand years. Okay? So these guys are pros. They aren't just some you know dudes out standing in front of a door playing their 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 uh, their you know device and, and not looking. These guys are professional soldiers. And so in verse 66 we're told, So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. This is really important. Why? Because most first century tombs in the Middle East were usually caves like this. Uh, Unlike this where there's a a gate, very often they have a large stone that was too big for one person to roll away and definitely could not be rolled away from the inside. They'll be rolled over the entrance of the tomb to make sure that all that was happening with the bodies inside and the heat, you can imagine, it was happening in a safe way. So they came along, posted a number of soldiers, professionals, to guard the tomb and they put a seal over the entrance. This is really important. Why? Because the significance of a Roman seal carried so much weight. A seal, in a sense, was like a rope with like a, a sign saying, if you break this seal, you just declared war on Caesar and his empire. Like, it's almost like, you know, when you see signs saying, do not trespass or you'll be prosecuted. Or in America, do not trespass or you will be shot. I mean, it's a very real thing. The minute you, you trespass, the minute you cross over that line, then you are open to all the consequences of that transgression. And to break a Roman seal basically meant you, because it was, it was, it was um, sealed with wax and with, with a Roman signet ring, which basically was like a decoration of war. And again, I'll just show you an artist's impression of what that might have looked like as you see some of the soldiers and this thing across the tomb and so on. And so what we see here is, is a kind of a visual example of what it looked like. And to break that seal basically meant war on Rome. Now, if the Pharisees were correct and Jesus' disciples were a bunch of lunatics who were hell-bent on starting a world religion, then, you know, in a sense, in a sense, fair play to them because what that would have meant was was they would have to have taken out a Roman guard, professional soldiers, okay, not forget, these are the same guys who ran away just two nights earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't like these guys are brave fighting men, that is Jesus' disciples. They were cowards. But suddenly, from a skeptic's point of view, they all got courage, came, overtook a Roman guard, broke a seal declaring war with uh, Rome, and then managed to steal a body. If the origin story is, of course, a myth. And I suppose the bottom line is this, is the Romans are very efficient, very good at doing things like this. And from the chief priest and Pharisees' perspective, the plan was perfect. I mean, are you kidding me? A professional guard? A Roman seal? The plan was perfect and everything from their perspective would have worked out just fine if Jesus had have remained dead right I mean for many of us you know we, 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 we if Jesus had remained dead it would, have, it would have been good for us because we could accept and respect you know oh your leader who was a great man who died all those years ago the problem we face is when we say and when we believe and when we preach that that man that leader is actually a son of God and he is risen which brings us to a crucial turning point in today's message, a really, really powerful turning point. And that is this, that as we stand here in the hill of Tara, as the sun is now rising behind me, as we're going from darkness to light, this is all symbolic and metaphorical, it all points to not just the information I'm trying to give to you, but the impartation of what God is actually doing in our church 
this Easter. See, Easter morning, there was darkness. I don't mean just physical darkness. I mean spiritual darkness. I mean, there was a sense of hopelessness. Because for these first followers, Jesus was dead and his message and his movement died with him. And even though it's heartbreaking for those first disciples, for many who don't believe, for the chief priests, for Pilate, for the Pharisees, and for many of us who are skeptics, or were skeptics, I mean, everything would have been better for for us if Jesus had have stayed dead. Because, let's be honest, a risen Christ, a resurrected Christ, for some, or at least at one end of the spectrum, it's inconvenient. For others, it's downright insulting. Because... It's inconvenient because if Jesus really is alive, then it makes me have to question everything I believe about life and purpose and meaning. If we believe Jesus is risen, then he isn't just another world leader or another religious figure. He is the God, the Messiah. There is no other. He can't coexist with other other religions because he is the one he is the only one the supreme one the true one the eternal one and the only one that can bring us to the father which means every other one is false and every other claim is false so at best it's inconvenient at worst it's insulting and the truth is this that a dead jesus we can handle a dead jesus we can even like but a risen jesus is an inconvenience but it's a necessary inconvenience why because if we can get over our 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 own pushbacks if we can get over our own uh you know reasons for why we we won't open our hearts i believe that god that this darkness to light idea isn't just some metaphor for the weather physically speaking but i believe light can come into our hearts the point is this as we say every Easter in our church on the morning of the resurrection nobody was expecting nobody like Jesus' resurrection wasn't just as, just wasn't a surprise for Pilate and the chief priests and the Pharisees. It was even a surprise for his first followers because when we're told in other gospels that the first eyewitnesses saw Jesus, when they went back and told the others, it wasn't like hooray! We're waiting for this news. We knew it. Look, I even had breakfast ready. I cooked him a full Jesus breakfast. You know what I'm saying? With the bacon and the eggs and all the things. I mean, that didn't happen. When the first followers heard that Jesus had risen, they didn't believe it. I mean, Peter and John came running to the tomb because they didn't believe it. Nobody expected nobody. This is really crucial because if, again, if one of our pushbacks for not embracing Christ and the Christian message because we believe it's a man-made organic myth, then this is really interesting. Why? Because we see in this the truth that the first followers of Jesus did not follow Jesus because of something they were taught. The first followers of Jesus followed Jesus because of someone they saw. And when you experience Christ, that changes everything. Christianity and the gospel message is not something that can be inherited. It's not something that we should be indoctrinated into. And, and, and believing it doesn't make us insane. I mean, you'd be slightly mad maybe, but not completely insane. No, the Christian message, the gospel, and a resurrected Christ is something to be experienced. He is someone to encounter. And when you encounter a risen Christ, when you encounter a resurrected Jesus, when you experience his presence in your life for yourself, Jesus being alive changes everything it changed everything for them then and it can change everything for us now jesus lives and his living and his being can change everything now let's go back to the seal for a moment that that roman seal 
That seal also serves as a symbolic picture of something else. Many of us uh, have experienced times in our lives where we're beaten up and beaten down. Maybe we were in bondage to depression, in bondage to some kind of abuse in our past, in bondage to fear, in bondage to addiction, in bondage to all these things. In many ways, this seal serves as a symbolic representation of the bondage that tries to keep us locked down and locked in and keep us from being free. And we're told that when Jesus rose from the dead, not only did he break the Roman seal and break out of the tomb and rise from the dead, but he broke the symbolic bondage of depression, the bondage of hopelessness, the bondage of unforgiveness, the bondage of brokenness. Jesus broke the seal for you. He broke the thing that holds you back and holds you down so you can have, you can have life and you can have hope and you can have purpose. And, and again, we think, well, how can I experience all these things, Jamie? Like, how can I experience hope, life, and purpose? Well, again, if, if the message of Jesus was, you know, buy into a doctrine or buy into the church or, you know, buy into some whatever it is, then it would, it would be much easier. But the point is this, the reason why Jesus claims, the reason why his message and his movement were, were undermined by his death, was because everything about his claims were built on him. And if Jesus stayed dead, it was all for nothing. But if Jesus rose, then everything is possible. In another gospel, John's gospel, chapter 11, Jesus speaking to a bunch of people after he performed resurrection on a guy called Lazarus, he said this, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Verse 26. And whoever lives, whoever lives by believing in me, we're told, will never die. And then he asked the question, do you, do you, do you believe this? And I think there's something in that as I begin to bring this message to a close. In that for us as Christ followers and those who are skeptical and curious and pushing back, do you believe this? Because, you know, it's true, the, the, the resurrection story and, and the gospel and the theology and the historicity, all these things can be explained. But really, the resurrection story is supposed to be experienced. And many of us in this room who follow Jesus, follow him, not because something was explained alone, but because someone was experienced. See, a resurrected Jesus changed the world. We're literally sitting in a room 2,000 years later because his resurrection completely changed the course of history forever in a meta-narrative sense but also his resurrection can change your world as it's changed my world and the world of so many of those in these rooms today you see the first followers didn't follow because of something they were taught because of someone they saw and same with same is true with me so was i i mean i didn't come into this thing because i was taught or raised or indoctrinated, inherited or insane I came to this thing because I experienced a living Jesus I didn't expect it, many of you know my story I prayed a half-hearted prayer to a God I didn't even believe existed to a God I didn't even believe was real I mean I didn't think anything was going to happen until God's presence filled that room, until all of a sudden I could feel his love and his grace and his mercy flood over me and in me and just bring cleansing and bring healing and bring hope and life and purpose and from that moment to this moment and hope for the rest of my life I will serve the God who set me free from that bondage who broke the seals that kept me down 
and gave me life and redemption and meaning, family and purpose. You see, in our darkest hour, as the sun has now risen behind me, and we've gone from darkness to light, in my darkest hour, in your darkest hour, in our darkest hour, we can find hope and we can find confidence for life, whatever it is, whether, it's, whether you're facing a divorce, whether your company's going down, whether you're struggling with your future and what you should do, your career, your dreams, whether you're fighting with yourself inwardly, whether you're facing depression, whatever it is, whatever your darkest is, whatever your darkness is, we all have it. We can find hope and confidence in a resurrected Jesus. Yes, we can be inspired by a dead Jesus who died for what he believed in, but there's no power in that. There can only be power in a resurrected Jesus. So I want to say this outward, I want to say it loud, I want to say it clear, that we believe in a resurrected Jesus. We're not afraid of it, we're not ashamed of it, we don't apologize for it because we have experienced his love and his power and we want all the world to experience that too. The question we ask, the question the resurrection asks us every year, every day in fact, the question that I want to pose to you, and even if you're a Christ follower, I, I want to shake you, I want to challenge you, I, I want to bring you back to the core of Easter. Yes, chocolate eggs and <clears throat> Easter buns and family dinners and lamb, it's all great, let's do it all. But I want to shake you, Christ follower, and bring you back to the foundation of your faith. I want to ask you, skeptic, you who are here kicking, kicking tires, wondering, curious. I want to ask you, I want to echo the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you trust in me, even though you die in the world lives, you will live. Why can he, how, what, on what basis or ground can he make that claim? Because he rose himself. And because he lives, as the song says, we can face tomorrow. The question I want to ask as we bring this thing to a close is, do you, do you, not, not them, not you plural, not those, do you believe this? Do you believe? Because the answer to that question changes everything. Why? Because we know that our belief not only determines our direction, what we believe determines where we go, but our belief also determines our destination. And Jesus isn't just a way, he is also the destination. God doesn't want our religious observance. God doesn't want us to break, to make, to follow rules. God doesn't want us outwardly to, to go along with things while inwardly we're dead. God doesn't want our religion. God wants relationship. He died on the cross so, he could, so we could be in relationship with him. And if we open our hearts, they were told that God can give us love, life and liberty. God can give love, life and liberty to anyone and everyone who believes. The resurrection story has been changing, transforming, redeeming lives for 2,000 years. And it can do the same for you too. The resurrection story has the power to take us from darkness to light. Inwardly, spiritually, emotionally, practically and eternally. But I want to ask you, are you open to resurrected Savior? Will you allow Jesus' love to fill your heart? Will you surrender yourself to Him? And if you're a Christ follower today, will you recommit yourself to Him, to serving Him for the rest, or to being a witness of that resurrection to the world around you? We're not just, we're not just, not just earmarking a paper, a rubber stamping an event on the Christian calendar. We're celebrating the greatest miracle that ever happened, the Son of God who died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And because he lives, he changes everything. So I'd encourage you, 
We're going to pray in a second. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. That the light of the resurrection would burn in our hearts. And whatever it is, whatever darkness we're facing today, whatever, whatever part of our lives we look to with a sense of hopelessness, I'm praying the power of a resurrected Jesus will come into our lives and bring light to that place. So let me invite you to stand. If you wouldn't mind standing with me, come on, everyone, Navin, Dublin, let's just stand for a moment. Yeah, and if you can, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, and the reason why we're doing this is just, I want, I want you to, to eliminate all distraction, okay? No one's going to come and rob your wallet or take your phone, okay? But I want you just, just to be at peace and just close your eyes and bow your head and just think about, think about all that I've said. Think about all that was in God's Word. I wonder, I wonder if I had to kind of set up my question with this question first. What is the Holy Spirit? Because God is speaking, right? So what is God saying to you personally today? What is God saying to you through this message? And once you ascertain, once you discern what He's saying to you, <clears throat> the next question becomes uh, automatically, then what do you need to do with that? What's your next step? As you contemplate those things, I'm going to get ready to pray. I, I want to ask you, will you open your heart to the light to the light and life and love of Christ will you open yourself up to not just some some religious myth or some religious you know uh, heritage but to the truth that Jesus lives and loves you and can change your life and if you would whether you're a Christ follower or not pray with me right now just your heads bowed eyes closed we pray for you so father I thank you as I stand on the hill of Tara, and now the sun has risen, as I contemplate, Lord, what this moment reflects in terms of the actual resurrection event that took place 2,000 years ago. Father, we're not here out of some inherited religious faith or some indoctrination. We're not here because we're insane, even though it's a bit crazy to be here on such a cold morning. Nonetheless, we're here because, Lord, we have experienced a risen Savior. He has healed us. And he has picked us up. And he has put us back together. He has redeemed and reconciled and restored us. And God, right now, I pray for all my friends who are in this room and watching online. I pray in the name of Jesus. That the light of Christ, the love of Christ, and the life of Christ would fill every single heart. And wherever there is darkness, wherever there is bondage, Wherever we've been held down, locked down, held back, I pray break the chains, break the seal, break the bondage in the name of Jesus. And bring freedom, bring liberty to every heart right now. For everyone facing depression, for everyone facing relationship struggles, for everyone facing uncertainty, hopelessness, hopelessness I just pray now that as your light comes into our hearts, you would give us hope. And you would give us confidence. And that we too will become followers. And we too will be witnesses. Not because we were taught or forced or raised. But Lord, because we experienced you. So Lord, we pray now in the name of Jesus. May your light fill every heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give a massive round of applause. Come on, amen. Yeah, celebrate and resurrect the Christ, everybody. Come on. You may take your seats. You may take your seats. Now, of course, uh, it's kind of our tradition that every Easter we finish off our Easter message celebrating life change in the context of baptisms. And for us, as you know, you know we, we want to not just talk about, we want to we celebrate. And so today we've got a number of people who are basically in getting baptized are saying, I believe in a resurrected Jesus. 
And by going under the water, they're saying the old way, the old me, the old life is gone. And by coming out of the water, they say the new life, the new me is here. In a sense, in baptism, it's a symbolic resurrection. That I've been set free from the bondage, from the chains, from the shame, from the, from the brokenness. And as I rise, I rise in the power and grace of Christ to live my life. And each one of these amazing, brave people are sharing this baptism because they want the world to know that they're following Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if this message has spoken to your heart, and if, if the light of Christ has come alive in your heart, then make sure, please, 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 come talk to us, our Next Steps team after service. Come chat to us because we would love to help you on this journey of faith. But let's continue our Easter Sunday celebration by celebrating all those getting baptized. Let's watch this together. My name is Visaimi. My name is Josiani. Uh, Nikita Christopher Chuchu. Uh, my name is Amos Pele. My name is Caroline Martins. I felt completely like before, uh, I felt like I'm missing something in my heart, and now my heart is completely there. I felt changed, I felt like a whole new person, and I felt at peace in many things. Um, recently, like the image that comes to me is that God has put a smile on my heart. So I follow Jesus because he puts like this joy in my heart that like is like untouchable. Like I feel like before if I was like really happy, I try really hard to protect it. And then I got this revelation of like the joy that God has given me, I don't need to protect it because it can't be taken away from me or damaged. So yeah. So I follow Jesus because I think that's the best way to live. And uh, I also think that with Jesus you can also have fun so a lot of people think that oh, it's like it's not gonna be fun it's gonna be religious and all this but it could be also fun so yeah to um, show publicly publicly that I'm a Christ follower it means showing my friends and family and everyone around me how much I love him and how proud I am to show them my faith and so let Jesus enter your life and you see the difference after you accept him.